Karen, thank you for reading. Please do keep that passage open in front of you. And I'm sorry I have no outline this week. You'll just have to uh, take notes if that's your thing. Uh, Shall I pray for us as we begin? Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all praise. Would you move our hearts to praise you as we should this morning? Would you uh, work through uh, my words and in all our hearts by your spirit that we might be changed for your glory? Amen. So here we are. Uh, Five summers, five books of Psalms. I think we've looked at about a quarter of them, I think, over the last five summers. If you're only just here for the first time, I'm sorry, there's lots that you've missed. But here we are at the last psalm, Psalm 150. And as I've wrestled with this passage over the last week or so, it's raised a couple of problems for me. I'd like to share them with you, if I can. The first is a textual issue. The psalm is self-evidently a call to praise. It's there all the way through, isn't it? It's a command, in fact. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. It's fairly evidently a call to praise. The textual issue is this. Psalms 146 through to 150 all begin with this call to praise or something similar. It's the beginning of the psalm, and then each of the psalms carries on with a number of reasons for praising God. The problem is this psalm stops at the call to praise. It doesn't go on to list lots of reasons to praise God. You expect more, but the psalm doesn't give it. My first instinct was that something had fallen out. Part of the document had been chopped off at some point. But you can see the last, the last word in the Hebrew, hallelujah, praise the Lord, is there as it is at the end of all of those five psalms, at the beginning and end of them. So it seems to be a completed unit. So the question is... Why does this psalm appear to be only part of a psalm? Why is it not the full thing, as you might expect it to be? And why did the compiler of the book of Psalms put it at the end of the book? What's it doing there as sort of the last word, as it were? I think often we think of the psalms as as a sort of throwing together of a bunch of songs that are not particularly related to each other, except perhaps in its subject. Uh, You know, we get our songbooks and and they're in, in sort of alphabetical order. That doesn't seem to be a particularly sort of theologically constructed thing. And we think the Psalms might be the same. And that's just not true. Uh, They've been very carefully put together. And so why is this Psalm like it is? And why is it where it is for us? That's the first problem. And we'll spend the the bulk of our time trying to wrestle with what the Psalm is about and, and so on. But if anything, I think the second problem has been more significant to me than the first, and I guess it might be for you too. And it is our response to the psalm. See, last week when I I took us through Psalm 145, we we felt the call to praise God, and we thought about why we don't often praise God as we should do. There, our writer, King David, gave us a whole bunch of reasons to praise God, and Rob and, and Karen have both taken us in various ways back into that psalm, Uh, This morning, uh, it poses a question, why don't we praise God like we should? But this psalm is even stronger, I think. Uh, Here, very little reason is given. The psalm is cut short, as I said, we'll look at that. And yet the exuberance of praise here is phenomenal. It's, It's amplified far beyond even Psalm 145. And more than anything, I think this psalm shines a light on our failure of praise. The failure of my own heart to praise God as I should. It calls for and expects 
abundant praise, exuberance in praise, and asks us, I think, in the process, why don't we praise God like we should? Uh, Just like last week then, and perhaps you're here as somebody who wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. You're here looking into Christian. You've wandered through the door, not really knowing why you're here, perhaps, this morning. Let me say, this isn't just a problem for God's people, the church. Look at verse 6 with me, would you? Look down at your, your Bibles. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It is expected that every man, woman, child, and every animal on the planet will praise God. And so it's a question for us. Why don't we praise God as we should? We're all made to praise God, and our hearts will go on searching for uh, for God until we find him. And yet the truth is, even as Christians, people who have uh, encountered God, we can struggle to praise God as we should. Now, that might be because we're British, and some of us are British, and we we like our praise uh, dialed down to two but I suspect there might be a more spiritual reason than that as well. It may come down to our obedience, and I'll I'll explain what I mean by that as we go through. But let's begin with the psalm itself. I think it breaks into four parts, the where, the why, the how, and the who of praise. Go down at verse 1 with me, would you? Uh, The where of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the highest heavens. The psalm begins and ends with, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Lord, in capital letters there, is God's covenant name. It's his relational name, Yahweh. It is the name that points to his special care for his people. And that's important because the second word that's used, praise God, the word God there is El. It's the word that all of the nations around Israel would have used. It's a general name for God, the the, the sort of supreme being. I think it's the way we tend to use the word God in our culture. You know, people say, I believe in God, or I don't believe in God, as though God were a sort of very generic word, as if we mean the same thing when we talk about God like that. I read this week that uh, Martin Freeman, the, uh, Fr- uh, Bilbo from the, the Hobbit films, he says, I'm a theist. I don't know what he means by that. He, I believe in God. God in a very general term. Well, the psalmist won't have that. Praise the Lord. He is God. The the psalmist isn't interested in uh, generic and faulty conceptions of God. He's interested in the God who has revealed himself as the Almighty, the Creator, the one who loves his people. And this God is in his sanctuary. That could be uh, the holiest of holies, the the central uh, tented part of the temple, the place where God dwelt amongst his people. Could be that... But I think that the third line of of this verse, praise him in his mighty heavens, takes us somewhere else. Takes us out of the temple where the people were gathered together for for praise at the festival, perhaps. And takes us into the highest point of the heavens, above the stars. The place where God dwells, in the highest point of the heavenlies. Uh, This is a psalm that calls all of the heavenly beings to praise God. It is a call to praise from God's people gathered together to join with the heavenly beings, the angels that God has before his throne to praise God because he deserves it. And so you can imagine as the musician side of us, Andy gets up for our last song, as we stand to sing, this psalm calls on all of God's church, all of the people and all of the, the beings that belong to God. To praise him. He is worthy of that praise. 
And we're going to see in Revelation this year in our small groups lots and lots of times when uh, the heavenly beings break out in praise. God is worthy of all praise. And so where do we praise God? Praise God here, absolutely, but praise God in the heavens as well. Why? Verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. The reasons to praise God are kept very, very short in this psalm and very generic. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise. I guess if you've got this far, if you've read through the whole of Psalms uh, 1 through 149, I guess you've got plenty of reasons to praise God. We saw in 145 last week lots about God's uh, saving acts. His, and I think that's what he means here by the acts of power. But the language here is quite vague. It is all that God has done. His work in creation and sustaining the world as well. It seems that the psalmist is expecting us to have got this far through the book of Psalms and to just have uh, oodles, bundles, hundreds of reasons to praise God. I don't need to reiterate them here, he says. You've got lots of reasons. In fact, if I stop and give you three or four reasons, you'll forget all of the other ones. I look at the rest of the Psalms for the reasons to praise him and then praise him for his acts of power and his surpassing greatness. God is above the heavens in his sanctuary, ruling at the ends of the earth from one begin- the beginning of time to the end of time. The world is full of his wonders and full of his mighty acts and full of his greatness. And the psalmist feels no need to enumerate them here. So that's the where and the why. What about the how? Verses 3 through 5. See, the surprising thing about this psalm, in some ways, is that he spends half of the psalm on how to praise God, how to use your musical instruments to praise God. It's here that the psalmist, I think, gives full vent to his exuberance. There are some people in churches not far from here who would want to say, you should only use the instruments in church that are, are in the Bible. And of course, Psalm 150 would give you plenty of those that you could have a go with. But I actually think Psalm 150 uh, gives the light of that idea because I think what the psalmist is doing here is calling on us to gather all of the instruments from all the parts of life and bring them to praise God. Verse 3. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. The trumpet here is is the ceremonial ram's horn. It was uh, the instrument that was used to announce the year of Jubilee, to announce that the festival had come, to announce the feast. It it, it wasn't a a melodious instrument. You wouldn't use it as part of a band. It had one note and it was loud. But it would be used perhaps at the beginning of the service to say, come to praise. Now is the time for praise. At the harp and the lyre, they would be your ordinary instruments, a bit like a guitar or, or a piano, your ordinary instruments of worship. More troubling for us, I think, is verse 4. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. How do you feel about dancing in, in the service? I don't know. What do you think, Andy? You know, get your guitar out for the final hymn and dance around as you do so. But this is, uh, this is the hand drum. You remember uh, Moses' sister Miriam, Exodus 15, the, the hymn that she composes as, as the, the sea closes over the Egyptians, the rescue from Egypt has happened and they break out into song. And she has this little hand drum that she plays as she dances around and worships the Lord. It is an instrument that symbolises joyful celebration. You've got to think sort of VE Day, you know, Trafalgar Square, the people gathered together, the victory's been won, and it is a wonderful, glorious thing. And even the British are breaking out into song. I praise him with strings and flute. I think these are more, more domestic instruments. You've got to think uh, shepherds on the hills with their little pipes 
uh, children with the penny whistle. It's, it's that kind of thing. It's whatever you've got lying around the house, whatever you've got in your pocket, bring it to celebrate this God. And make a joyful noise to the Lord. Lift the roof in praise. And I guess that's what you get with verse 5, isn't it? Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Uh, what are the cymbals for? You hear an orchestra play. What are the cymbals for? It's a dramatic impact, isn't it? Yeah, you really hear the cymbals. That's the point. Make a great big crashing sound. Uh, fill the earth with praise. That's the point. The psalm here calls on us to bring all our instruments from all the different parts of life to worship the one who rules over all of life. That's the where, the uh, the why, the how, and now the who. Verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is, all the creatures that have breath praise the Lord. Or, perhaps at the same time, uh, every breath praise the Lord. So not just... Uh, If you have breath, you should praise God. But with every breath, we should all praise God. Uh, This takes us uh, out of the temple. I I think it's really part of the key for understanding what this psalm is doing. Uh, The psalm seems to end quite abruptly. Uh, This is the end of the Psalter, the book of Psalms. It's the end of the service, perhaps. Although I think this is a fairly fitting psalm for the beginning of the service. But as you go out... And you take your instruments from all areas of life. You worship the God who is over all of life, with every breath of life. It is about continuing your worship into the whole of life. Just as the heavenly court praises the Lord endlessly, so ought we. Every creature should praise God with every breath in every situation. Bring every instrument you can get your hands on to praise God. Our praise should be loud, it should be abundant, it should be exuberant. And you've got to say, for us, that's, that's got to be easier than for in centuries past. I mean, you don't need to have somebody who can play the piano really well. You don't need to, to be good on the guitar yourself. You don't have to have a great singing voice. You just need to get a CD of, of praise music, crank it up to 11 and just give it the beans, don't you? So let's take stock. Where are we? We are to praise God with everything we have. And the psalmist expects us to dip into the rest of the book of Psalms to see all the reasons why. And so we can worship God truly. We're to praise God with all that we have all of the time. And yet for most of us, most of the time, praise of God is the the last thing on our minds. We find it very difficult, don't we? And we've still got those, those two questions hanging over us. What is this psalm doing here? And why don't we want to praise God so much? So let's expand our horizon. If you're trying to understand any passage in the Bible and you want to, to get your head around, okay, what's it doing here? You have to ask the question, what's the context? Okay, Psalms book five. Let's think about how this psalm ends the, the fifth book of Psalms. Okay, the, book, the whole book of Psalms, as it were, is divided into five books. That's a little confusing. We should have a different name for the subsections, but the book of Psalms. Let me read you the final verses for each of the books of Psalms. Psalm 41, verse 13. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You'll see a theme. Psalm 72, verse 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89, which is the bleakest of the Psalms, I think. And, And you're quite surprised when you get to this final verse, verse 52. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. 
Psalm 106, verse 48, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. You get the idea. Short, pithy declarations of the glory of God and the reasons to praise him. Uh, they, they end each of the books. They, the, the direction of the books is towards praise. You're supposed to end the books with these great declarations of God's glory. And then you get to the end of book five and you have five whole psalms directing you to that. That The whole uh, Psalm 146 through to 150 are altogether the doxology, the, the glorification of God that comes at the end of this fifth book and at the end of the book of Psalms. The whole of the book of Psalms is directing us to this point, to praise God abundantly, exuberantly. Which rather means we've got to ask another question to get to the grips with Psalm 150, which is, what is the message of the whole book of the Psalms? What is it about the Psalms that drives us to sing this uh, psalm, this great song of praise? I'm going to give you a very thumbnail sketch. It is only a thumbnail sketch, and uh, there are lots of nuances and subtleties uh, of the books that I'm not going to give you. But let me give you a bit of a hint, a bit of a shape of the contour of the book of Psalms. Let's take books uh, 1 and 2, first of all, verse 72 Psalms. Uh, They are... In the main, Psalms of David, most of the Psalms of David come in the first two books. Uh, And and they end with uh, one of the two Psalms of Solomon. Probably a Psalm for Solomon by David, I think, Psalm 72. In which uh, God is uh, over the the king of Israel. He's raised up David, the mighty king, has blessed his people. The first two books of Psalms, I think, are fairly hopeful, fairly happy. You get to Psalm 72 and David is handing over the crown to Solomon. Uh, And so you get the one book that has a little sort of addition after the doxology is book two, where you get these words. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. So I think books one and two probably were one book. They were probably the songbook of David's court, I think. A very hopeful, happy set of songs about how great it is to live under God's king. And it is true. Psalm 72 then marks the transition to Solomon. And and if you've been in the Bible overview with us this year, you'll know where this is going. Uh, Things were pretty downhill for God's people from from Solomon onwards. And so book three is the bleakest of the books of Psalms by a long way. It is about the failure of God's kings uh, to obey God, to listen to him, to love him. Uh, They ignored God. And so you end with Psalms 88 and 89, great Psalms to have in your back pocket if you're feeling uh, pretty depressed yourself. Uh, God's words to us to sing about what it is to be at your wit's end. They are really, really bleak psalms and quite long. Uh, One about the individual Israelite, one about the whole nation suffering because God's kings have failed. Uh, Not a happy read, but useful to know about. Uh, Psalm book four reaffirms the fact that although the human kings have failed, God is still the king of his people. He's the king you should look to. He's the one who rules and loves his people. And it calls on the people to return to him. And as a result, book five is the most hopeful, I think, full of praise. As, a, as they look forward to God's people gathered in the temple. You think of the Songs of Ascent. So Ali took us to uh, one of the Songs of Ascent a couple of weeks ago. You know, 120 through 134, 15 psalms of. Uh, we're going up to Jerusalem to worship God. It's great news. It's great to be gathered with God's people. And we get to these last few psalms, worshipping God as we should, as we look forward to the fulfilment of all his promises. If there's a single theme to the psalms, I suggest that it's this. 
that God remains completely faithful to his plans, his people and his promises, even when the human agents, the kings, have utterly failed. But to understand, therefore, this theme properly, let me take you back to uh, Psalms 1 and 2. Okay, because they are the bookends, if you like. Psalm 150 is bookended with the first two psalms. You'll know them fairly well, I guess. Do just flip back with me, would you, to Psalms 1 and 2. Uh, I have no intention of expounding Psalms 1 and 2 completely. We're looking at Psalm 150, but I do think it's really helpful for us just to get a bit of a handle on uh, where, where Psalms is going so that we can see where we've landed at the end. Psalm 1 and 2 are together an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. And they're both about blessing. Uh, The first verse of Psalm 1 is blessing. The last verse of Psalm 2 is blessing. Blessed is the man, verse 1 of Psalm 1, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word blessed means happy. Where does the wellspring of joy come from that leads us to the exuberant praise of Psalm 150? It comes from being, I think, the blessed man or woman of Psalms 1 and 2. And the whole book of Psalms takes us on that trajectory. Psalm 1, a blessing comes from meditating on and obeying God's word. The blessed person prospers because they are planted in streams of living water in the word of God. You think about the picture that is for people who live in the Mediterranean, near hot, dry climates, but you're planted by this great river that gives you life. God gives wisdom, you see. The wise person makes the daily decision not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Uh, They make the choice to walk in God's paths. The wicked are not like that. They're not like the sturdy oak planted by uh, the river. They're like the chaff, the worthless, dusty uh, offcuts from the, the crop blown around in the hot Mediterranean wind. Psalm 2, the blessed person is the one who kisses the sun. The sun here is verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. The son, you see, is the king. In Psalm 2, the nations are gathered together. We, we see wars. We prayed uh, with Karen for, for conflicts all over the world. And yet Psalm 2 envisages all the kings of the earth gathered together in one purpose, to oppose God. And God laughs, verse 4. He laughs. It is pathetic. He is God, he is the Almighty, and objecting to him and standing against him is futile. It's like being on holiday with my kids this summer and then building a dam to try and hold the sea back out of sand. Great fun, great way to spend some hours, but utterly futile. The sea just washes it away. Totally ridiculous. And so the blessed person is the one, verse 15, who kisses the sun. That is, uh, pays homage, that is... uh, The word means bowing down, kissing the ground before someone's feet. We've seen that sort of thing on movies. You don't get to see that very often in the street. But you've seen that sort of thing. You can imagine what it is. It is total and utter submission to the rule of the king. And those who won't will be destroyed. And so in summary, God has appointed his king. 
And the wise man or woman submits totally to his rule. God has appointed his word, the law of the king. Uh, God's words to give wisdom, how to live wisely under the rule of the king, by meditating on God's word and doing it. And so we read the scriptures. When the people were ruled by King David, who did meditate on the law, he ruled well and the people were blessed. But from Solomon onwards, God's human kings failed to listen to him, didn't listen to his word, and they were judged and the people went into exile. We know that from the Bible overview. The message of the book of Psalms is that we must return to God, submit to his true king, the ruler of the ends of the earth. Which of course leads us to the Lord Jesus. It means submitting to him. He is the appointed king. He is the great descendant of David who who takes the kingly psalms on his own lips, who is everywhere in the New Testament referred to as uh, the Son of God, Psalm 2, verse 7. It is he to whom we are to submit. He is the very embodiment of Psalm 1 wisdom. He is the king who leads his people back to God to worship him with their whole hearts. When all the human kings have failed, it is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who steps in and restores his people to God and lead them to endless, adoring worship of their king. Psalm 50 is the climax of worship with everything that we have for the work of Christ in bringing us back to God. We are to praise him for his great acts of power. And is there a greater act of power than Jesus dying on the cross in our place to restore us to God? So why is it then that we praise God so little? Why is it that a psalm such as Psalm 150 strikes us as a bit of a a bum note? Because we so rarely feel this exuberance. Might it be because we have not submitted our whole selves to the king? Is that possible? Might it be that we have tried to strike a bargain with Christ? Yes, I'll take your salvation, Jesus, but I want to find my joy, my blessing, somewhere else. Have we held back from throwing ourselves before Christ and giving him a humble submission and adoration? So I think for many of us, I suspect that we hold on to Christ for uh, the salvation he offers, but we don't hold on to him for the blessing and the happiness and the joy that he offers. We'd rather look for those things elsewhere. Could be career ambition, I guess for some of us that might be the place we look for our joy and happiness. Could just as easily be uh, chocolate addiction. I don't know if that's your thing. You know, is that the way you get happy? For some of us it is. And there are a million other ways in which we might seek our joy outside of Christ. But not one of them lasts, and not one of them is guaranteed the way this joy is. Submit to the king, be planted like a tree by streams of living water in the word of God, Obey the king in all that he says to you and see the joy that comes from being one of his people. In other words, the problem for many of us is not that uh, we have looked to God uh, with passion and found that he is unwilling to reward us. It is that we have failed to give him wholehearted commitment. We've sought joy elsewhere and we're not joyful people because those other things cannot give us what Christ can give us. Now friends, I can't tell you where your blockage might be. I can only name my own heart on this. For some of us, it will be a deep sin, something we're ashamed of, something we're not willing to to share. 
For others, we might not be aware yet of where the problem is. But if you find that blessing and happiness and joy are a struggle for you, it may be that you're being robbed of joy because you do not look for your all in Christ. Psalm 146 through 150 call us to constant, abundant praise of God. Uh, last week we saw that one of our problems may be that we, we don't count our blessings. We don't see all that God has given to us and praise him for it. But I think uh, Psalm 150, in light of the rest of the book of Psalms, asks us whether our problem might be disobedience. A failure to obey can rob us of joy. Now all of us will struggle from time to time with sin. Some of us will have hidden sins, sins we're very much ashamed of. Please hear me. Christ has broken the power of sin. You don't need to be defeated by it. But you need to fight it. Psalm 1. Plant yourself by streams of living water. Make a decision daily not to walk in the ways of the wicked. You need to fight, you need to fight for joy. Fight for the right to praise God with your whole heart. And that might mean you need to come and talk to someone, a close friend in the church perhaps. Come talk to me, come talk to one of the elders. We'd love to share with you, to know your struggles, to pray with you, to pray for you, to ask you how you're going. Don't have to fight alone, but you do have to fight. Fight for joy because it is one of the great blessings that God will give to us. This sort of psalm should be coming out of us. And if it doesn't, it's because we haven't turned to God for it. These are his words given to us uh, to enable our hearts to praise him as we should. Uh, Is disobedience stopping us? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are uh, so far above us and so very great in all that you do. And we have barely scratched the surface of understanding who you are and barely begun to praise you as we should. And we pray that you would show each one of us uh, this morning whether there are things in our lives that are, are taking our focus away from you and meaning that we, we lack the joy that we would love to have. And Lord, we long to be happy. We long to be joyful people. And we know that happiness and joy can only really be found in the Lord Jesus. Would you please help us to put our whole our heart into loving and following and submitting to him whatever you ask us to do. And we pray it for your glory. Amen.